the chaos and weightiness of this world and of our lives brings us to this text in need of a fresh vision of God. This verse comes in a glorious section of Isaiah where God is comforting His people with His coming, His power, His sovereignty, and of His care for us as our shepherd. This text comes with one of Scripture's most repeated commands, do not fear. But it grounds that command in five wonderful promises that we will give our attention to today. Isaiah 41, verse 10. God says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 is like Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. With a foundation and guarantee so secure, so solid, so strong that its promises hold amidst the darkest, most dangerous times of our life. There is no situation in life where these promises are inapplicable. As I mentioned, this verse can be broken down into a repeated command, incentivized and bolstered by five promises. The command is, do not fear, do not be afraid, and the promises are fivefold. God is with you. God is your God. God will strengthen you. God will help you, and God will hold on to you. Therefore, church, do not be afraid. The beauty and helpfulness of God's Word is that God not only tells us what to do, which in this case is to not be fearful, but God also gives us within this text reasons why we should not be fearful. Don't miss in this opening portion the word for. Look with me. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. In a time where it feels like we have every reason to fear, Isaiah 41.10 gives us arguments for fearlessness, grounded in who God is. This verse reminds us that the ultimate remedy for fear and the ultimate impetus for courage is the doctrine of God. So from this one verse, I want to set before you five arguments for fearlessness. Five arguments for fearlessness. The first argument is God's unchanging perfections. God's unchanging perfections. You'll note in verse 10 the repeated pronoun I. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you. And in order for this these set of promises to be received as amazing, we have to know who the God is behind these promises. If we do not have a, an understanding of who the biblical God is, we'll not be amazed and helped by these promises. God, who He is, gives these promises their grandeur. So we need to understand the perfections of God. Scripture testifies that God and His works are perfect. God lacks nothing. He is the self-existent, self-sufficient creator of all things who himself is absolutely independent from creation. Paul speaks to this truth in Acts 17 when he tells the Athenians, 
The God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is He served by human hands as though He needed anything. Since He Himself gives to everyone life and breath and everything. Along the same lines, the Westminster Confession of Faith reads, God has all life, glory, blessedness in and of Himself. And it is alone in and unto Himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which He has made, nor deriving any glory in, by, unto, and upon them. As the supreme being, God has life in Himself. And as the foundational being, God is the source and sustenance of all that has been made. God exists by nature as the eternal I am. God is self-excellent. He is perfect, not because of anything outside of Himself, but because of who He is in Himself. God is limitless, unsearchable, transcendent, and sovereign. His immensity is beyond comprehension and without limitation. Now, we don't have time to examine all of Isaiah 40, the chapter before this text. But if we were, we would see this glorious vision of God. And it's that vision of God that leads to this command to not be afraid. So I'll be dipping into Isaiah 40 as we examine Isaiah 41.10. Hear these verses from chapter 40, verses 12-14. through 14. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? Or marked off the heavens with the span of His hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure, or weighed the mountains on a balance, and the hills on the scales? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or who gave Him counsel? Who did He consult? Who gave Him understanding and taught Him the paths of justice? Who taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. God's perfections are inexhaustible and they are unfathomable. As a result, what we say about God is true, but it is certainly not exhaustive. As Anselm put it, in describing who God is, God is the one who none and nothing greater can possibly be conceived. This means that God is not just greater than us, He's a different being altogether. He's the Creator, not the created. He is the Lord of all. As Psalm 27 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So as the perfect being, God is all-knowing, He is all-wise, He is just, holy and good, loving and merciful. The God of Isaiah 41.10 is immutable, unchanging in His perfections. All God is, He has always been and will forever be. Again, to call attention to previous scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah 41.4 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to His understanding. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I am the Lord, the first and the last. I am He, declares the Lord. So as we get into Isaiah 41.10, we need to understand that the God who is said to be with you, who is for you, who is strengthening you, who is helping you, who is upholding you, this is no small God. 
The eye behind these promises is unchangeably perfect. Therefore, do not fear. The second argument we see, which gets us into the beginning of verse 10, is the argument of God's unbounded presence. So we've seen His unchanging perfections, and now we're moving into God's unbounded presence. So you see in verse 10, following the imperative, do not fear, God says, for I am with you. The first reason God gives for why we should be fearless is because the God who is with us is unbounded in His presence. When we speak about God, there are two fundamental affirmations that we need to articulate. That God is omnipresent, that is, He is everywhere, and that He is timelessly eternal. God is spaceless as He is timeless. For God to be omnipresent means that God is all-present with His infinite presence at each moment in time, even as He is not restricted or confined or conditioned by time. 1 Kings 8.27 says, Heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain God. Why is that? Because of God's omnipresence. There are no spatial restrictions or boundaries with God, which means that at any place, at any time, we can call upon this God for help. Wherever we are at, we can draw near to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A fear that a guardian may have is that you may not be present when you need to be to protect those you care for. But God, as the protector and overseer of our souls, as our great shepherd, He is not handicapped by space. Therefore, God is always with us. God can always get to us. His children are always in His view, and therefore we are always in God's hands. This is what was expressed in Psalm 139 by the psalmist. When he says, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So what is the significance of God's omnipresence? Of His unbounded presence? Matthew Barrett writes this. If our infinite God is omnipresent, then His power is extensive, His kingdom rule is pervasive, and His sovereignty comprehensive. This is the God who is always with us. God's presence is over us. It is beside us. But as New Covenant believers, God's presence is also in us. We have the covenantal presence of God. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit as temples of God. And this covenantal presence will never fade from the Christian, but will only intensify. The end of, of Scripture, Revelation 21.3 says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and He Himself will be with them as their God. God dwells in us now and God will dwell with us for all of eternity. Jesus says to His disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospel, God is with us always to the end of the age. 
Now friends, a question we might be asking practically is if God is with us, why is this life so hard? Why does it appear that things are out of control in this area or that circumstance? And although there are many ways to analyze and answer that question, at least one answer has to be that these earthly trials make us long for more of God. More of His presence. More of His ministry in our lives. Martin Luther, who encountered a trial or two, said trials not only teach you to know and understand, but also to experience how right, how true, how sweet, how lovely, how mighty, how comforting God and His Word are. God intends us to make us more humble, more dependent, more desperate for God because of the challenges of this life. And when those challenges and those trials are eliminated, how sweet will our fellowship with God be? Glory will be where evil and danger, wars and famine, all the chaos of our lives and of this fallen world will be done away with. And our fellowship with God will be the greater for it. Amidst all the difficulties in this life, Isaiah 41.10 says, God is with us. So as you're sitting here and you're hearing this, if it feels like the dangers and difficulties and challenges of life are flooding you from every side, take heart. God is everywhere present and He is present with you. Not in some abstract way. Not in some cold fashion. But for you, right now where you are, God is with you. He's using this sermon to oppress upon you His love and care for you. His tenderness towards you. What peace do you take in the presence of a grandfather or grandmother? A father or mother? A dear friend? What peace would you take in the consistent presence of a thousand angels? How unstoppable, invincible would you feel at that point? This text, friends, gives us God who in His magnificence and in His majesticness is always with you. God is always accessible as our present help and refuge. We are never alone. This is why Psalm 23 has been such a dear psalm to the church. Listen to verse 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yes, difficulties of life are sure to come, but the continual presence of our God goes with us. We do not have to face this life alone. God is stating to Israel in these chapters, and He's communicating to us this morning, that we do not need to fear other gods. We do not need to fear other rulers and nations. We do not need to fear the circumstances before us. God is with us in times of trouble. God is unbounded in His presence. The third argument we see from the phrase, I am your God, is God's undeserved grace. God's unchanging perfections, His unbounded presence, and third, His undeserved grace. To think about God being with us poses a problem. 
The problem is that this God is holy and righteous and pure. And we, the people He's supposed to be being with, dwelling with, are not those things. We are sinful. We are filled with iniquity. As Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? All of us is exposed before God. So on the one hand, for the Christian, God's presence is the safest place in the universe. But we could also say that God's presence is also the most dangerous place in the universe. The most dangerous reality, that is. For people whose sins are not atoned for, God's presence throughout Scripture abolishes, dismantles, it destroys And so for the person outside of Jesus Christ, for the person who has not received God's mercy in Jesus' person and work, what you need to hear from Isaiah 41.10 is that this Creator God is not with you, but He is against you in His wrath. If we were to turn back to Isaiah chapter 6, we would see that the author of this book experienced a glimpse of God's absolute holiness. And when he did, he was absolutely undone in his transgressions. Scripture teaches us that we have sinned against the one who is infinite. Whose glory, holiness, and perfection is inestimable. But the good news of the gospel, friends, reminds us that this perfect God has mercifully made a way for sinners to be in his presence. For God to be our God. The gospel proclaims to us a Savior sent by God who is Himself infinite. Who possesses the perfections identical with God. So praise God that He is not only unlimited in power, but He is infinite in mercy, grace, kindness, and steadfast love. That God is able through Jesus Christ, His perfect life, His substitutionary death, His resurrection from the dead, to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. That like Isaiah, we too can have our iniquities forgiven by the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. I was reading in the Gospels this week and came across the narrative of Peter in the boat with Jesus where Peter throws out his fishing net and the boats just begin to be filled with with fish. Two boats full and he realizes in that moment something different about this Lord Jesus Christ. And he's amazed and he's in awe of God's holiness. And you know how Jesus responds to Peter? He says, do not be afraid. Because through Jesus Christ, we can dwell in God's holiness but we can only do so by grace. God who is of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong must Himself make a way for us to be in His presence. For Him to no longer be our judge, but our friend and our advocate. And we know that this access to God's presence, His favor, is obtained through Jesus Christ. That through Jesus' sufficient atonement on the cross for sins, God is able to be with us without destroying us. So as a believer, we do not have to hide from God. His presence is favorable toward us, and His covenantal promise remains. He is our God. We today do not have to fear God's judgment, because the eternal Son was sent to be the suffering servant, to bear our griefs, Carry our sorrows, be pierced for our transgressions, be crushed for our iniquities. 
to heal us by His wounds and to obtain our peace with God. We see in the Gospels that picture of the curtain of the temple being torn in two so that sinners cannot draw near to God without being both abolished and without being cast away from God's presence. So again, to to have a conversation with the unbeliever in the room. We have seen that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere always. We cannot escape Him. But listen to this encouragement from Augustine, the 5th century pastor and theologian. He says this to you today. You cannot flee from God, so flee to Him. Flee to Him in His mercy. Flee to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. Flee to Jesus Christ for eternal life. The same God who is just to condemn us is the same God who is just to grant us eternal life through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look to the people in Scripture who took God to be their God. Liars and murderers, prostitutes and pagans, all of them unworthy. But God can be your God by undeserved grace. If you were to receive that free gift of salvation by humbling yourself in repentance and faith. God is reminding the people of Israel throughout these chapters of His redemption. He says in Isaiah 43, 1-3, this is what the Lord says, The one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear. Why? For I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. The rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. The flame will will not burn you. For I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isn't it amazing that in the gospel, the Holy One is our Savior. God is telling Israel and He's telling us, if God has secured your redemption... If He is your God, He will remain with you. If He has secured your eternal future, you should not fear this present age because God is your God. Friends, the assurance that we need most in this life is that the judgment of God no longer hangs over us. And in Jesus Christ, we have that. That promise, I am your God, is what Charles Spurgeon considered the masterpiece of all of God's promises. Spurgeon writes, here is a deep sea of bliss, a shoreless ocean of delight. Come, bathe your spirit in it. Swim in age and you will find no shore. Dive throughout eternity and you shall not find no bottom to the promise that I am your God. If God is for us, friends, no one or anything can be decisively against us. The Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel has showed us, His people, unmerited, undeserved favor. And so in the words of Isaiah 12 too, if God is our salvation, we will trust Him and not be afraid. All of these salvific benefits, by the way, secured through the new covenant, through Jesus Christ our Lord, That these promises are not just for the people of Israel hearing these promises at these times. These promises are as real today for us as they were real to them. God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. Our greatest problem, unforgiven sin against a holy God, has been remedied by Christ. 
God is our God. Therefore, do not be afraid. The fourth argument we see in this passage is the promise of God's unlimited strength. God's unlimited strength. Isaiah continues, I will strengthen you. I will help you. If we were to zoom out to the context surrounding this verse, we would see that this encouragement towards fearlessness comes amidst description of Israel's enemies, their schemes and their power. In verse 5 of chapter 41, God says that having seen something of God's awesomeness, the coastlands are afraid, the ends of the earth tremble. But God's people are to be fearless because our God is all-powerful. We have already seen in Isaiah 40 verse 28 that the Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. So God's word declares to us that God is omnipotent. He is all strong, all powerful. And this is good news. But there's even more good news that Isaiah 40 gives us. That is that God does not lessen in power. It's not that God ramps up to being all powerful. It is that God is all powerful at every moment. But then the good news continues. God does not grow weary of strengthening. God delights to show His strength. Because God is not overwhelmed, He can carry our burden. Because God is timeless, His strength and aid are always available to us. Because God does not have any capacities, God can be our constant good shepherd. God never becomes weary or faint. Therefore, Isaiah continues in verse 29 of chapter 40, He is able to give strength to the faint. And He strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men may stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. To use the logic of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 6 in His Sermon on the Mount, If God cares for the helpless birds, if He cares for the lilies of the field, if He's able to strengthen the entire universe to be what it is, will He not also strengthen us, His people? If we were to look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 41, we would see that God's people have been elected by God, called by God, and He has promised to not cast them off. In times of trouble, God is our strength, Psalm 37. Whatever situation, challenge seems insurmountable to us, it is not insurmountable to God because God is unlimited in His strength. These two lines, I will strengthen you, I will help you, these are empowering words. Because strength and help, those are our constant needs, aren't they? I would imagine that the prayer, Lord help me, is one of the most uttered prayers in our lives. And the good news is that God has constant supply. This is what we reflected on earlier in the scripture reading from Philippians chapter 4. Where Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. 
In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. Verse 13, I am able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, in its proper context, that is a verse to be put on a mug. Whatever God has called us to, whatever God has entrusted to us, Christian, God is able to strengthen you to be faithful in that. Because God's strength is unlimited. It is unchangeable. Therefore, God can fortify us. God does not depend on you. Therefore, God can help you. Unlike the gods of the nations that need strengthening, our God is unlimited in strength. And He is always inclined to help us. We might say this from 2 Chronicles 14.11, It is nothing for you, Lord, to help us. But Isaiah 41.10 says, Not only is it possible that God might help, He promises to help. I will help you. Hebrews 13.6 says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear for what can man do to me. There is no safer place to take refuge than in the arms of our omnipotent God. There is no more powerful position than to be aided by the Lord of hosts, the Lord God Almighty. You are being supported and strengthened and bolstered by the perfect being. Therefore, do not be afraid. We come to the final argument of Isaiah 41.10, that of God's unwavering righteousness. God's unwavering Righteousness. We see here at the end of verse 10, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Students of Scripture will know that God's right hand is often referenced. It's associated in Scripture with God's military might and His saving intervention. Exodus 15 in the Song of Moses, Moses observes that God's right hand is glorious in power. God's right hand shatters the enemies. God's right hand is filled with justice, Psalm 48.10. And the Psalms often refer to God's right hand in upholding His people. Psalm 18, Psalm 68. Listen to this from Psalm 138.7. If I walk into the thick of danger, you will preserve my life. You will extend your hand. Your right hand will save me. It is God's right hand that leads us in His right hand that holds us. We're reminded in Isaiah 41.10 that God's right hand is righteous. Why might God have included that? Well, I think at least one reason is because if it's God's right hand that leads us and guides us, we might often wonder, why have you led me here? Why has your providential lead me Leading led me to this place and this trial and this circumstance. And we need to be reminded that God is righteous in His leading. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? Genesis 18.25 Wherever God has led us, we can trust God's goodness and His wise will. God will always do what is right. In the words of Romans 11.33, God's judgments are unsearchable. His ways are inscrutable. Whatever, wherever God has led us, we can receive God's plans for us.
Because our God is in control. The, the affairs of men are in the hands of God. All of our lives are ordered by God. And we need to remember that that right hand that is leading and guiding is righteous. One of my favorite hymns is the 1862 hymn, He Leadeth Me. Listen to these lines. Sometimes mid scenes of deepest gloom, sometimes where Eden's flowers bloom, by waters calm or troubled sea, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mind, nor ever murmur nor repine, content whatever lot I see, since tis my God that leadeth me. God's hand is righteous, and it's God's righteous right hand that leads us. But not only that, it's God's righteous right hand that holds on to us. Like Moses in Exodus 17, God upholds us in our weariness. This too is an often referenced truth in the Psalms. That the Lord upholds the righteous, Psalm 37. God upholds us with a willing spirit, Psalm 51. He is the upholder of our lives, Psalm 54. We can pray to God, the words of Psalm 119, Uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Even, as, even something as small and frequent as sleeping and waking is because of the upholding of God. Listen to Psalm 3.5. I lay down and slept, I awoke again, for the Lord upheld me. So what we have seen about God is that nothing is impossible for Him. God can change our circumstances. We should pray toward that end. But we should also realize that if the circumstances do not change, God holds on to us. He upholds us. The God who upholds the universe by the word of His power can uphold each of us through the difficulties of this life. And as we, as we traverse those challenges and emergencies, our persevering is not ultimately contingent on our hold of God, but on His hold of us. One of my favorite verses of this section of Isaiah is Isaiah 40 verse 26. Which reads, look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of His great power and strength, not one of them is missing. I did a quick Google search this week. And Google informed me that astronomers estimate that there are about 100,000 million stars in the Milky Way. Just the Milky Way. And this text says that not one of those stars is missing. Psalm 147 says that God gives to all of them their names. The New Testament teaches that God knows even the number of hairs on our head. Do you think if God has control over the stars in the sky, most of which we cannot see, that any of God's blood-bought children will slip away from Him? All of God's elect will make it to glory. None of God's people will be lost. As we read earlier from John 10.28, Jesus promises, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. God's hold of us is resolute. How might we summarize Isaiah 41.10? I think we could do it in these terms. We are prone to be fearful because of aloneness. 
God declares He is near to us and He is with us. We're prone to be fearful because of judgment, of sin and guilt and shame. God declares we are forgiven and that He is our God. We are prone to be fearful because of our frailness and our weakness. And God declares He is our strength and help. And we're prone to be fearful because of doubt. God declares to us that He is trustworthy as our righteous God who holds on to us. These are the arguments for fearlessness that God gives us. This text reminds us that in order to fight anxieties and fear, we need to have a renewed meditation, not on our circumstances, not on ourselves, but on God. Fear, as you know, can be all-consuming. It can be perplexing as well as paralyzing. What if the worst comes? What if that doesn't go our way? What if I have to endure my entire life with blank? Here's what Scripture gives us from Psalm 112. The righteous are not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Who God is, what He has and will accomplish is more significant than our fears. The context of Isaiah 41 says that God's people are chosen, their enemies will be punished and crushed. Our God upholds the world. The trials of God's people will be brought to nothing, though it may not look like it now. God is, in fact, working all things for our good. God will vindicate every wrongdoing. God's will will never be thwarted. He Himself will never be defeated. God is our great hero who saves us in the nick of time. The nations and their leaders, they will bow down before the Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately, our fear of death too will be extinguished. Because death for the Christian ushers us in to God's presence. Every day God's mercies are new. God's grace is sufficient for every day's trials. For each of us, we have a number of concerns. They range from spiritual to family concerns to financial burdens, worldly opposition, future decision, past regrets, physical ailments. And those are real difficulties. Those are real challenges. But be hopeful, Christian, that whatever difficulty we face, we should not fear. We do not have to fear. God gives us His nearness, commitment, and aid. This is a text that is weighty enough, sufficient enough for every challenge because it reveals a God who is unchanging in His perfections, unbounded in His presence, unmerited in His favor, unlimited in His strength, and unwavering in His righteousness. This infinite God loves us. He's present with us. He's committed to us. He's strong for us. He upholds us. In the words of Paul, nothing then can separate us from God's love. Neither tribulation, nor distress, nor persecution, nor famine, nor nakedness, nor danger, nor sword, nor COVID, nor economic collapse, nor total anarchy, nor another world war, nor the end of the world can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 41.10 reminds us in the words of the Puritan Thomas Watson, there is more in God's promises to comfort than in the world to perplex. The promises of God, friends, are the great antidote to fear and anxiety. These are arguments and promises 
that have allowed God's people to attempt great things for God. Because we realize that the things worth living for, the things worth dying for, they are not easy things. They will cost us. They can often appear terrifying and impossible. But we can attempt them with God. We have on our side the omnipotent, omnipresent, eternal God who has promised to strengthen us, to hold on to us. And this is what propelled the Apostle Paul, saints from church history forward, that God will supply every need of ours according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. That God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all time, you too may abound in every good work. So may these promises from Isaiah 41.10 lessen our fears and inspire courage. Christian, fear God, but fear nothing else, because God is greater than our fears. Let's pray.